Hello and welcome to the second edition of Desert Isolation Discs. You may hear that this voice is not the voice of Alex Lawson. Alex has kindly let me sit in as the interviewer for this episode. Alex is well known for being the editor, founder and originator of Nottingham's greatest fanzine, Shadowplay, and its accompanying blog slash website. Starting off with, uh, with your writing, what has always struck me um, is that it seems like you were writing from a really young age. What gave you the confidence to, to do that and what made you start writing? I knew that I wanted to be able to write things that people were actually going to read rather than just me in my bedroom. But because, you know, as a 16 or 17 year old, you're not ever going to be published by anyone because you haven't got any proven credentials. You have to make your own way about it. And that's probably what led to, to the fanzine starting off in the first place. I think that's fascinating that you use the words write something that people are actually going to read because speaking from my own experience, I could not imagine knowing what other people would want to read when I was that age really because it was I I read what I read and I had no <laughs> idea what other people would want to. So that started off the fanzine. So mm. to tell me about that, what was the process behind that? Yeah, well, I think one of the things there, Tom, is that it's probably a massive ego trip, really. You know, fanzines are, in a, in a sense, uh, many fanzines are personal zines, per zines, as they call them, and people just talk about their own lives. I wanted to combine a bit of that and a bit of music, and, and I think at first I was designing it on Microsoft Publisher and I had the idea of doing a little magazine. I don't think I really understood what a fanzine was, which was something which differentiated itself from the mainstream media and perhaps offered people the, a viewpoint that they weren't getting elsewhere. Um, I was determined that it was going to be fun, you know, not overtly political, maybe have a bit of politics in there, but I'm no expert, uh, but mainly just uh, around the music and the bands that I liked um, with a lot of daftness thrown in. We had a lot to do with bands and cake were, were probably the key themes, I'd say, in the early issues. Funny how things change. <laughs> or not, as the case may be. Um, so what's going to be your first choice for today's Desert Isolation Discs, Alex? First choice is a, a track that's very close to my heart. It's the Gene Genie by David Bowie. Uh, Bowie was a big idol of mine. He didn't influence my style, um, but he did uh, his lyrics and uh, the panache that he had was something that I always admired. Um, and you know as a teenager you don't think that anyone else has ever discovered these things so I remember the first time listening to David Bowie and this tape thinking god it blew my mind and it was my parents uh, sort of song that they had with each other and I think Gene Genie is just a fantastically weird song that only David Bowie could have written Small Gene Genie snuck off to the city strung out on lasers and Slashback blazers and ate all your razors while pulling the waders. Talking about Monroe and walking on Snow White. New York's a go go and everything tastes nice. Poor little greenie. Get back on it. Gene Genie lives on his back. That was the Gene Genie by David Bowie. Now, Alex, talking about your fanzine a moment ago, you said that it had uh, 
a lot of daftness going on throughout mm. it, uh, or daftness, as mm. I should say. Um, <laughs> silliness is something that I think is one of your best qualities. Um, and is an interesting one because you can be quite a serious person at the same time. Um, are you surprised that you haven't grown older and grown more sensible? No, in fact, I think uh, you know I've been working for a long time on a fanzine that I've never don't I don't think it'll ever be published, but it's sort of it's working title is how I tried and failed to become an adult, <laughs> and I think there's so much that you know you try and do, and you've got to see this the funny side of things. And also, I think that, you know, I always like to be in a room and think, you know, I could make every one of these people laugh if I wanted to, because, you know, people remember that. And there is definitely an element of the class clown about it. You know, I was the class clown. I jumped out of windows. I wrote silly things on the board. You know, I drove teachers up the wall. But at the same time, um, it's a fantastic buzz that you get from making people laugh. And what I enjoy doing most is taking a, a serious situation and adding a little bit of silliness into it. I remember um, once at school, there was a quite vicious lad. Um, his name was Jeremy, although his slightly posh name was undermined by the fact that he was um, a quite thuggish lad. Anyway... It, there was an internal window which he decided one day to headbutt, uh, <laughs> completely smashed it apart. Everyone in the class was shocked. I remember the teacher just uh, looking down at the table, you know, was really upset. And I just decided to bust out the local um, glass repair company's uh, jingle, which was, Colesill windows are the best double two, double one, double five. And everyone in the room <laughs> laughed. And uh, yeah, I really was a class clown, but I loved it. <laughs> Which is interesting, I think, because you're also you you you're also quite a deep person, and you read quite serious and quite emotional literature, and have an interest in a lot besides comedy. And um, I think that that is definitely a huge strength that you have those two sides of your of your character. Mm. But very very interesting that they've kind of blossomed together as opposed to one taking over the other. Yeah. I think you don't need to don't want to take yourself too seriously and I think you can you can keep the serious stuff to yourself and um you know I'm a bit of a worrier uh, and but I think it's better that way than you necessarily need to burden other people I, I think otherwise you become a sort of uh, you, you know you can become a drag on people and and I think uh, it's better to uh, to think about things carefully and yeah seriously if you need to but um, to be uh, lively and enjoyable company is more important to me. Right, well, let's see um, which side of that Alex is going to present us with now. What's going to be your second choice that you would take with you on your desert, to your to your desert isolation <laughs> area? <laughs> well, since you touch on that side, then I've got to pick a silly tune. Um, I absolutely love this. Uh, basically, I can't imagine being away from British comedy uh, if I'm taken to this desert island. Um, so this is actually a Victoria Wood song, um, and it's called The Ballad of uh, Barry and Frieda. It's about uh, an elderly couple and uh, Frieda's desire to have sex with Barry and Barry not being so up for it. And what I love about it is the 
I, I could analyze every line for hours in what, why it makes me laugh. But really, it's just got the essence of that classic British humor being beaten on the bottom with a woman's weekly and all these <laughs> different things. Um, and Victoria Wood is just a genius. Um, I can't believe she recalls so many lines in such a short amount of time. So it's a fantastic song. Frida and Barry sat one night. The stars were bright, the wind was soft, the moon was up. Frida drained her cocoa cup. She licked her lips, she felt sublime. She switched off gardener's question time. <laughs> Barry cringed in fear and dread as Frida grabbed his tie and said, Let's do it. Let's do it, do it while the mood is right. I'm feeling appealing, I've really got an appetite. I'm on fire with desire, I can handle half the tenors in a male voice choir. <laughs> Let's do it tonight. But he said, I can't do it, I can't do it, I don't believe in too much sex. This fashion for passion turns us into nervous wrecks. No derision, my decision, I'd rather watch the spinners on the television. What a fantastic choice there from Alex Lawson. That was Victoria Wood from 1988. We've touched on your silliness. Mm. Now, another thing that really, really strikes me is your romanticism. I remember you telling me that you were off filming around Sheffield to make a video of all of the places that your girlfriend mm. at the time loved. And uh, I'd, I'd never heard anything so romantic. Um, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about perhaps some of the, um, yeah. the most romantic things that you've done? Well, I think the the first thing to say is, God, what a pretentious person I sound. <laughs> um, I think, you know, it, it's natural to, to get caught up in these things. But I, I think the problem I have is that I think about the idea and don't think about whether the person would like it or whether I even necessarily think the things about the person that I'm saying. I think it is a lot of the time, you know, um, I suppose when you say, you know, some of the things I've done, uh, one of the things that would stick out is um, something from my girlfriend who I'm going out with now and, and going to marry next year um, was before we were together when I was trying to woo her. Um, I actually set up what I suppose you would call a treasure hunt uh, up at Islington, uh, up, up Upper Street, Islington High Street in London, um, and dashed down to Islington in the afternoon, set up these various things like tying little messages to trees and um, pedestrian crossings and uh, slipping uh, cards under plates that we were going to be sitting in this various restaurant. And of course she was freaked out. I don't know why I thought she'd be anything else. <laughs> um, so yeah, the lesson is make sure that they actually want it first. But uh, that was different because it was genuine emotion. I think other things I've rushed into and written books for people and um, perhaps, uh, you know, sent messages uh, that, that actually realistically maybe I didn't feel. But I love the idea uh, of, of being a romantic um, but now I definitely am with Anna. You know, it's, it's more genuine than that. <laughs> oh. And what's going to be your third choice for us? Uh, third choice today is a, a strong contrast to that, but um, it's Atmosphere, the woman with the tattooed hands. It's a hip-hop track that I discovered about 10 years ago. 
Uh, I always loved the juxtaposition of um, hip hop and piano. I think actually it's it works together. You know, it might not seem uh, like a, a natural fit, but um, uh, Slug, who's the front man, if you will, of, of Atmosphere, carries this off one off perfectly. It's about a woman who uh, likes to pleasure herself with her own tattoos. It's a crazy idea for a song, but it, it works perfectly. So that was Atmosphere with the woman with the tattooed hands. Interesting to hear that you chose a song which you were interested in the imagery and metaphor and in essentially the writing that was behind the lyrics in that track, Mm. um, showing that you've always got that part of your brain switched on. Uh, And it was a great track. Um, So you um, used to and still do write quite a bit about music. And now you write about football uh, and business news as well. Where do you see your your writing going, and and why? Mm. Well, I suppose the, the the thing driving that is um, putting food on the table for me um, in the business news. You know, it's uh, it's you know a very straightforward job, and uh, you know I get to interview some interesting people in the business world. Um, the move towards football was was quite a purposeful one. I, I felt like. With music, I was no longer perhaps, uh, you know, I never considered myself author- an authority, but I thought that I was up to speed with the music that I was writing about um, when I started off with the fanzine. But, you know, as is natural with a lot of people, uh, life gets in the way. And I think if you can't tell people what's going to be, uh, you know, what they're going to be listening to in six months' time, then. Uh, you can't expect them to really value your opinion as a fanzine uh, writer or, or a blogger. Um, football, I think, is a bit different. It's a long-term passion of mine. I'm a long-suffering Sheffield Wednesday fan. I've always got my eye in. And to analyse where a team's uh, going or what's happening in a particular match uh, perhaps doesn't take the context or the ability to uh, be as on the ball, uh, excuse the pun, as it does to stay ahead in music journalism. Do you think that there's a similar amount of analysis in football? 
uh, I think it's less uh, less faddy. Like uh, they they do we do there is a uh, a term in, in football now. The uh, there's kind of hipsters teams and there's certain teams, particularly in German football, it's quite cool to like. Um, and there's, there's definitely a, a bit of that, but it's nothing like the posturing that you have in music where, you know, you have to think very carefully about whether you want to align yourself to this band or, or that DJ, because otherwise you might end up looking, uh, you know, uncool yourself. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of actually analysing it, I think football is such a, a pure... Uh, pure sport with a very simple with very simple uh, aims that uh, you know when you break it down it still doesn't uh, crumble into too many pieces mm, mm. okay and what's your next choice for us the next tune i've got today uh, is something that has been on my list because you know you have these lists in your head for a long time um this is bob dylan's desolation row um it's 11 minute track and when I first heard it, I thought, my goodness, there is so much in that tune. And, you know, we all know what a great lyricist Bob Dylan is. Um, and, uh, you know, we all know that he's able to put things together in, in a clever manner. But I thought this was such a sprawling and fantastic piece. There's so many stories within a story uh, that I can imagine just sitting there in the desert trying to analyse every line and think about what he meant when he's talking about, you know, Betty Davis style and that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to listen to this 4,000 times uh, back to back. They're selling postcards of the hanging They're painting the passports brown The beauty parlour is filled with sailors the circus is in town Here comes the blind commissioner They've got him in a trance One hand is tied to the tightrope walker The other is in his pants And the riot squad, they're restless They need somewhere to go as Lady and I look out tonight from Desolation Row. So that was Bob Dylan with Desolation Row. Now, Alex, um, just to wrap up the questions about journalism and your, and your writing here, mm. in a sense, you seem to me like you've always been pursuing a career in journalism. Is that the case, or have you ever harboured any other ambitions? I think, you know, you've got to realize what you're average at and go for the best thing you know uh jack of all trades master of none um or in this case just jack so yeah no i i uh i enjoy journalism i like the thrill of a chase of a news story and you know obviously i've thought a long a long a lot of times you know it's, it's not the easiest um career to pursue and i'm a long way off achieving what i you know would ultimately like to uh, to to do to be comfortable and enjoy what I do, but I, when I think about doing anything else, I, I would miss the kind of slickness that you get in, uh, for example, um, picking up a news lead and finding out whether it's actually true, <laughs> and then printing it um, and then talking about that uh, particular story and analysing it, 
or um for example you know being face to face with someone and interviewing us as we are now you know you you are given such a privileged access sometimes uh and it's so interesting to see what agendas people have it's great to gossip about the people that you interview and it is a really interesting world there's a lot of pitfalls that come with it um but uh yeah i think when i think about what else i could do the only desires i've ever had is to be a football manager even when i was a teenager i thought yeah i'd quite like to be a football manager Uh, it's slightly sad that even at that age i sort of knew that i wasn't actually good enough to be a player (laughs) and would have to be the bloke in the sheepskin coat at the sidelines you know Uh, but yeah that's what i was thinking i'd love to see you in a sheepskin coat i think i I think i could pull it off and need to maybe need a cigar as well to Mm. really offset it nicely yeah yeah i'll get you one for christmas (laughs) So you say you're a long way off your ambitions. Mm. What are they then? What would be the what would be the dream? I don't know. I think for for journalism, just to be writing about things that uh, constantly interest me, the music or uh, football or some kind of reporting from abroad, or um, to perhaps pursue the any of the industries that I'm interested in a little bit more. Either um, I've, I've done a lot of writing about. Uh, like development in football and how football can be used to uh, develop people's lives and uh, for better and quite interested in that area I, I think that you know people get stick and because uh, and, and the inflated wages that people see that professional footballers have, have give the game a bad name um, so yeah quite interested in pursuing that or, or or perhaps working out a way to get paid to listen to lots of good music as well would also uh, be <laughs> it still it still remains an ambition <laughs> <laughs> sounding so noble there for mm. a minute uh, yeah yeah great long. Uh, okay um so what's going to be your next track for us uh, the next track we've got is uh, Claire and the Reasons, uh, Pluto. Uh, this is a uh, song I absolutely love. I went to uh, see Claire and the Reasons live with Anna, one of the first gigs we ever went to together. Uh, it means a lot to me. And also, it's such a fantastic idea for a song. It's basically um, a letter to Pluto after it was declassified as a planet saying basically chin up it's okay we still love you and I just thought what a clever idea and there's so many times in life you see ideas that you think god I wish I'd done that but in this time you just have to hold your hands up and go that's fantastic was Claire and the Reasons letter to Pluto uh, a lovely track and um, I think the orchestral backing does justice to um, mm-hmm. such a lovely non-planet Alex I've always found it interesting that your mum is a designer who's turned your family house into a show home it's appeared in magazines and, and the like but for years you appear to have taken pretty much no interest in your appearance was that a reaction to the way that your mum is hmm 
I think the first thing to say is my mum is definitely a big influence on me and her passion for everything that she does, be it positive or negative, is exactly what I would do in most situations. So, we're, you know, we're quite reflective of each other, uh, unlike uh, my brother, sister and my dad, who are, you know, quite similar in their demeanour. Um, in that sense, definitely, um, you know, everyone is aware of their image, but I, I think, you know, I definitely felt like you know what this is me deal with it probably had uh, at university had some sense that oh well I wasn't single so I didn't need to try as hard which probably put the death knell on <laughs> what happened there but um, I, I would say that it is less important to me than think than other things uh, I think you know as long as you're respectable and it's taken me about uh about five or six years now to be able to dress for business meetings um that then it's okay um I would never say I was stylish or particularly uh, aspire to be so but I always like to feel like I'm comfortable and I like to feel that other people in the room are comfortable and so you know if they want to wear platform heels uh to uh, you know uh to go out for breakfast uh, and I want to wear a baggy stripy top, then then so be it. Um, in terms of um, what my mum has done, um, I think that she's worked really hard to, you know, create a, a, a very unique style, um, sort of using various kind of vintage um, materials to, uh, uh, yeah, to, to create something that people are interested in. And, you know, I've got a lot of respect for that. And uh, I don't think I could do that. So it's, it's lucky I'm the, the daggy one in the corner. You focused on clothes there, but I think that you've, you've got a keen interest in art. And mm. um, are there aspects of your life where you do sort of feel like you are more interested in having stylistic control? Mm, just writing, I think. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I've got very definite writing style. I like to inject humour. I like to... Uh, have long sentences then short and uh, you know I'd like I often like to think you know if uh, I'm writing that it would you know perhaps be uh, at my best uh, a good Sex Pistols punk song uh, and at my worst some kind of terrible tie-dye hippie sprawling mess uh, and usually I hit somewhere in between uh, so yeah just uh, just I think in the writing style. What's going to be your next track for us? Um, so the next track is one that's very very dear to my heart uh, this is Buck 65's Wicked and Weird. Uh, is um, a rapper from Canada who I first discovered uh, through a friend's tape um, about uh, about ten years ago. Um, I absolutely love him. He's a complete genius. Uh, I've never, you know, I I interviewed him uh, upstairs at the rescue rooms in Nottingham, and I've never felt that someone has talked so much sense whilst also you know, having so much panache in the way that they, you know, um, talk about music and, and life. And um, and his this song is absolutely fantastic. It's got a brilliant squelchy beat. It's about uh, basically a guy living on the road uh, out of a car. And I know every single word. And me and my friend Daniel wrapped it all the way to Latitude, which was as sad as it actually sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 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 
Driving with a yellow dog, I-95's got a smile on his face and big shiny eyes. Up at a decent hour, never ate yet, got a little Johnny Cash in the old tape deck. Nothing in the trunk but some baseball gloves, pair of jumper cables and a set of golf clubs. Blanket on the backseat, we're in rough shape, sunroof held on with a bit of duct tape. Looking for a gas station, better make a list, fill her up with regular, I need to take a piss. Sexy girl, air freshener, snacks in a pinwheel, top up the fluids, clean the bugs off the windshield. Not a care in the world, not a how and a why, no destination, not a cloud in the sky. Back on the road, not a moment too soon, dish ran away with some other spoon. Wicked and weird, I'm a road hog with an old dog singing slow songs, trying to hold on. Wicked and weird, I'm a rat fish, trying to practice doing backflips on your mattress. Wicked and weird, I'm a road hog with an old dog singing slow songs, trying to hold on. Wicked and weird, I'm a rat fish, trying to practice doing backflips on your mattress. That was Buck 65 with Wicked and Weird. Now, Alex, um, we're getting close to the end of your Desert Isolation discs now. Um, but we're only just sort of touching on your family life, which I think is one of the most intriguing things about you. I sort of have this idea that it was all a little bit Wes Anderson going on in Nottingham. <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about about your family and mm. uh, and the way that you are with each other? Yeah, I don't think it was too Wes Anderson. Um, to be honest, you know, things were, were very normal. You know, my uh, my mum uh, worked as a teacher, my dad a bank manager. Uh, we used to have fantastic holidays away to Italy where my mum had such a passion for buying antique chairs uh, that we basically had to strap them to the roof every time we came back. Um, I think what was funny is that we all have a daft sense of humour. We all love quoting Father Ted at each other and, um, you know, lots of family in-jokes. And one, at one time I remember we were all some kind of um, army and... Uh, I was Sergeant Stocky because some of my, one of my mum's friends had called me Stocky, and I think my dad was unfortunately Captain Corpulent, and we now refer to him as King, although not really in any form of deference. But <laughs> you know, it's the classic middle fa- middle class family whip. But you know, um, it was great, and uh, you know, I was very close to my sister. And, you know, uh, hated my brother as she as she would do. You know, at that age, we were quite a few years apart, and I'd do anything to wind him up. Uh, especially if he was revising for some big exams, you know. <laughs> Are you, do you still call each other by nicknames now? Uh, yeah, very much so. Dad is still king. Mom is... Uh, monkey mom and that's with an O even though none of us are very American my sister is Mog or Scovel uh, don't ask and um, and yeah I can vary in names depending on if someone's trying to be nice to me or not so <laughs> which yeah. you'll admit for now yeah I'm definitely admitting some of them not, <laughs> not broadcastable that's for sure <laughs> okay um, let's have another track then what what would you like to choose I'm going to play Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan uh, Terabina or Nothing Without You. Uh, Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan is a uh, well-known Pakistani Kuali singer who's uh, sadly died. Um, this is, you know, a really emotional song that, you know, brings about a lot when you listen to it. Um, his music has been all used all around the world and in films, but I, I don't think enough people could ever listen to this song you know that if uh, everyone in the world apart from one person hadn't heard it then that wouldn't be enough you know uh, so i hope you like it sun 
So that was Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan, a beautiful, beautiful song there. And um, one that I would love to wake up to soon, I think. Mm. Alex, they've all been fantastic selections so far. And uh, before we reach your final track, um, I'd just like to talk to you a little bit about the events that you've run. I said earlier that I would um, talk about a craft night that mm. you have uh, that you set up, one with the amazing title, Come Get Felt Up. <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about that, please? Yeah, Come Get Felt Up was sort of born out of um, Jumpers for Goalposts, which was the Nottingham night that I'd sort of inherited from my friends Pete and Hannah. And I'd ran that with Tom Wally, who works on Radio 6 Music and, you know, is a fantastic brilliant dj and a great music lover and a fountain of knowledge um and tom and i were quite keen to do it again and anna and nathan um, friends in london were very crafty got far more artistry than i have so the basic concept of the night was simply just to set people a, a crafty task um be it uh, build something to go under the sea or to um, uh, to give to the royal baby on its birth, for example. Um, and uh, inevitably, it ended up with people creating penises out of felt, for the most part. Uh, but then you'd have a fantastic band play and give out prizes. And again, I suppose it links to what we were saying earlier, just love the feeling that everyone was, you know, enjoying being silly um, and unashamedly. And uh, we found a great venue in London in the book club, uh, in Old Street uh, and had a couple of fantastic years of, of, of putting on great nights which loads of fantastic people came to and, and mainly um, learnt new things to do with pipe cleaners <laughs> 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 which again I won't elaborate on <laughs> Okay Alex and what's going to be your final track for Desert Isolation Discs? So this is one that we always used to play towards the end of the night uh, usually when we were clearing up after people's uh, rubbish that they've been attempting to build some kind of structure with at Come Get Felt Up this is um, Freddie Scott's uh, You Got What I Need and I think it you know, there's no one that you can sing this in the face of and they don't think you're the person that means the most in the world to them. Uh, and it's just absolutely fun and fantastic. what a fantastic track to end on but if you had to pick just one from your desert isolation discs which track would you choose to take with you to listen to for the whole time you're there 
Well, it's only about three minutes, but I think Buck 65 is wicked and weird. Uh, it's got so much in it um, and so many great memories for me. Uh, I couldn't live without that one. A great choice. And we've already given you the Tiger Who Came For Tea and the complete Red Dwarf box set. You've got a luxury item that you can choose. Uh, what would you choose to take with you? Well, I think going to be a bit pretentious and go for a lovely notebook and I'm allowed a pen I would have thought probably uh, tucked into the side of it because I have such a terrible memory and even there I'm sure I need to do lists uh, you know um, make sure I don't get killed uh, you know uh, get water uh, lays around listening to Buck 65 um, that I'll need to write them and I'm sure I'll have a few uh, have a bit of time to actually you know really make a, make a difference by uh, probably writing that terrible short story that no one really wanted to read so yeah I'll, I'll have a notebook please <laughs> <laughs> you can have the notebook and you can have the pen Alex Lawson thank you very much for being my guest on Desert Isolation Discs <laughs>